since I started this series on Jesus stories, this is one parable I knew that I was going to talk about. Remember, we talked about parables, a parabole, uh, something laid side by side for point of comparison, or as some of you probably know, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But this parable in particular, I've been meditating on uh, for a long time, and I'm not quite sure why it's continued to come back to me all the time. But it's obviously important. It's a very important parable because it is uh, actually found in three different places in the New Testament. Uh, Here in Matthew, as you've already heard it read, it's also in Mark, it's also in Luke. Uh, And so context, and that's where where it's placed in the Bible, is all important in understanding this particular parable as it stands first in a list of seven stories that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. Now, verse 1 says that Jesus gave these parables on that same day. Now, when you read your scriptures, when you read stuff like that, you ought to start asking questions. When it says he started teaching this on that, on that same day, what was that same day? What was going on when he decided to tell these stories? Well, all you need to do is back up one chapter. Go back to Matthew chapter 12, and you're going to see that it happened on the same day that the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of doing miracles through the power of the devil. You are doing this only because Satan's in you. That's what's happening. So this story then is placed first in Matthew 13 because it kind of reveals something very crucial about the, the response to the message of Jesus. Now, after this kind of a public confrontation here, if you will, this controversy with the Pharisees in Matthew 12, they accusing him... Uh, You're just doing this through the power of Satan. Uh, There ought to be a logical question that you should ask. And the question would be, you know, if you are who you say you are, Jesus, why is it then that everybody doesn't believe what you have to say? And, and, And why do all of us religious people reject your message? Good questions to ask. Well, the question is still asked today in a whole variety of ways. I mean, we could put it this way. Why does, for example, um, a wife believe and her husband rejects everything there has to do about Christianity? Or why does one brother become a missionary and the other one becomes a pornographer? Or why do two children, I'm not talking about mine, uh, why do two children go up in the same family with this, and, and end up with completely different values of life? Or how is it that the same word of God produces different results in human hearts? How is that possible? Well, most messages, and I've preached on this before, and I actually went back and I kind of looked at some of the old ones. I thought, well, I don't want to preach it from the same way that I did several times in the past. But most messages kind of discuss this from the point of the four soils. Uh, I'm not going to deal with that specifically. I want to look at it in terms of what it teaches us here at Restore about doing ministry through this place that we call Restore. Now, I'm going to share with you eight different principles today, and I have a feeling that all of these things could apply. And Eric, I'll be honest with you, I, I was thinking about you a little bit because you have a ministry as well, and it could just be that some of these principles... You've already applied, I guess because you learned it from Dad, but I'm not going to say that. 
I guess I just did, though, didn't I? Uh, but, you know, and other of you that are involved in a variety of different things, you might think, I mean, you think about Anthony and what Anthony does. Some of this might actually apply to him, but I'm hoping it applies specifically to us. Here's the very first thing, and it's to build your ministry, whatever it is, on the Word of God. See, Jesus said the seed is the Word. That's in Luke 8, 11. It's the only thing that truly has the power to change the hearts of people. Now, I'm going to be honest, it's going to sound odd, but, you know, preaching alone does not do it because we can't really talk people into a new heart. Uh, Our words or my words uh, have no power in and of themselves. Uh, Programs don't do it. In fact, I tell you that way too many churches are completely over-programmed. They've got everybody in the building and they all kind of stay in the building. Now, I'm not saying that programs are bad, but um, from, my guess, past experiences and what I know a little bit about churches is that it's possible to mistake busyness for godliness and activity for spirituality. See, the only thing that will ultimately bring growth, and I don't care what kind of growth you want to see, you don't talk about numerical growth here at Restore or just growth in the people who are, who are here uh, you know, from time to time or regularly, is the lasting growth that comes through the Word of God. And that's why we need Word-centered ministry. And for better or worse, that starts right here where I'm standing. Or in a couple of weeks, it's going to be right where Jeff is standing. Or it'll be out where I'm at praise and worship that Sunday, where the Word of God is shared. See, pastors who preach about everything under the sun except for what God has actually said, do no service to the people that they're dealing with. They rob their people of one thing that all people desperately need. Uh, But see, above all, we ought never substitute a trend or a fad or the hottest new thing for simple, systematic teaching of God's Word. Now, some of you have been here long enough. We've been through 1 Timothy already. Uh, We've gone through several books of the Bible, and in about three weeks, we're going to start with the book of Ruth. But see, without the Word of God, churches may grow numerically, and it does happen, but they don't necessarily produce fruit that lasts. Here's the second point. Uh, Good ministry produces differing and unpredictable results in the hearers. This is kind of the central teaching of this parable. Now, you've got to remember, there's nothing wrong with the seed. And the seed is all good. I mean, the gospel is good. The word of God is good. Uh, the same seed that the birds ate uh, is the same seed that also produces a good crop. It's the same seed that produces the plant that withers away and is choked out uh, by the thorns. So good ministry, and that's what I hope we're doing here, that good ministry can't be defined solely in terms of its visible results. I mean, that's why Jesus told this story. I mean, our job, uh, my job, your job, however, whatever place you, you fill in this place called Restore, is to just sow the seed. And the seed can be sown in a variety of ways. But as we sow, we need to be realistic. We don't want to be all starry-eyed like, oh, wow, I'm going to preach a sermon this week and everybody's going to come forward and be rebaptized. baptized <laughs> uh, That would be really cool, but uh, that's not the point. See, some seed we know falls on a hard path. Uh, some on, a, on stony ground, some amongst thorns, and some of it lands on some pretty good soil. 
but you can't know in advance where the seeds are going to fall. See, good ministry of the word uh, produces differing results. Now, that happens in every church and in every ministry that I've ever been a part of or uh, that I've witnessed. See, Jesus told this story, I think, so that we wouldn't be surprised and we won't be discouraged when sometimes things just don't quite go the way we expected it to do. Here's the third thing I would tell you. Don't be misled by early success. We've only been at this a year. And uh, we've had some pretty good crowds at different times. And sometimes you go, oh, wow, we, you know, we, we almost got up to 25 or 30. <laughs> and then we kind of drift back down a little bit. So sometimes you go, oh, man, this must be going south really fast. No, it's not going south really fast. But see, often when you enter, you start a brand new ministry, there's, there's a sudden growth spurt. That's a good thing. I can remember back in seminary at Concordia at Fort Wayne uh, that they said that when a, uh, a pastor goes to his new church, there's generally a very quick rise in attendance. And they want to know what's going on with the new guy. Um, and that, that can make you start to think, hey, this is pretty easy stuff. Wow, I showed up and suddenly more people are coming. Uh, but uh, it's not that easy. In fact, ministry may be many things, but I'm going to forewarn you or just tell you maybe for many, you've heard this before. It's not all that easy. That's why I, I find in this parable that the longest portion of Jesus' explanation deals with the seed that fell on stony ground. But that seed sprung up very quickly because it had no roots. When the sun comes down, the young plants withered and died. So we need to kind of take a warning to heart. And it's just that if you have early success, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with early success. But maybe sometimes don't put too much stock in it. Kind of step back and watch what's happening. I mean, just think about it this way. Three of the four soils responded positively at first. But only one lasting fruit. Here's number four. Don't despair because of early difficulty. Oh, man, I think back on my, oh, I don't know how many, I started a pastor in 1986, so some of you are better at math than me, how many years I've been a pastor. Uh, there have been some programs and there have been some different things that I thought were going to be the greatest things since sliced bread. I was going to be the next Billy Graham or Louis Palau or whatever. And it just fell flat on the face. Uh, and sometimes you just hit a rough patch. So is Jesus saying in this parable that about 75% of all of our efforts will fail? I mean, after all, 75% of the seeds didn't work. No, he didn't say that, but it can sometimes feel that way. That for every step you take forward is like you're sliding backwards too. I'll also be honest with you that some churches are really hard to pastor. Man, there's nothing like herding sheep and goats. Uh, some missionaries, uh, well, some churches are easy. I've walked into different places. It was really easy to be there. In fact, I find this group a pretty easy place to be. Uh, some missionaries go out and they have absolutely amazing results. Uh, some struggle for years with little to show because good soil is really hard to find. And that's why you can't find all the soil in one little building. You've got to go to the soil that surrounds this building. And remember, God can do a lot with a little. Look at this. What do we got? 
seven of you over here, nine, 11, 14, 15 people. Imagine what God can do with 15 people who are sold out for Jesus. Three of the four soils did well at first, but only one produced lasting results. Uh, Number five, your initial judgment of people will often be wrong. The truth cuts both ways. You really can't tell by looking what kind of heart that person has. Many of you know that I frequent the coffee shop virtually every morning. I feel like I'm part owner at Hollister Coffee Company. And in some respects, I am, (laughs) I guess. And I have entered into some conversations with people that I thought were really going to go really gangbusters, and they turned on me. (laughs) Well, they didn't turn on me. I suddenly realized halfway through the conversation these people weren't the least interested in what I had to say, and in particular, anything connected with the word Jesus. You ever had conversations like that with people? Oh, wow, way to go, God, you brought this person. And I was like, what? They don't like what I'm talking about? You know, in our lives, there's some people that all of you have known that you thought would make really good leaders. And then suddenly they kind of fall away. And sometimes the unlikeliest people that you meet suddenly are just the greatest mature believers you ever found. And so we need to give the word time to do its work. And eventually it always kind of reveals the true condition of every heart. Here's number six. And that is to sow widely, because you don't know where the good soil is. Uh, the farmer, uh, in this parable, it says, broadcast his, his seed. Now, he carried it in a pouch that was strung around his neck and hung off his side, so he'd stick his hand in there, and he'd reach in, he'd just grab it, and he'd just throw it. Now, some of us who are huskers, grew up in Nebraska, and someone who actually was born in Nebraska... Some of you have traveled through Nebraska to get to places you thought would be far more interesting. Have seen the state capitol in Lincoln. And if you've seen the state capitol in Lincoln, it's the tallest building. It used to be the tallest building in all of Nebraska, which doesn't take much. A silo is a pretty big building in Nebraska. But what's on the top of the Nebraska state capitol? But the sower in his hand is going like that, scattering the seed out. I mean, so... We, we, this, the person who does this knows a certain amount of the seed is going to fall on, um, on the beaten path. It's not going to take root. What the farmer doesn't know and really can't know is where the uh, stones are, uh, where the thorns are, because they're all kind of like hidden underneath the surface. And so therefore, he doesn't know where the good soil really is. And as I've been thinking about this parable, and as I think about what we're doing here at Restore, um, it's true also for us in our ministry. The best way to reach more people is to sow more seed in more places and try to find as many places as possible using every avenue that we can or reaching out to every age and every interest group we can find. And that's why, you know, partly why we are involved with CAM, Christian Action Ministry. We have a, a, at least one time a month where we're feeding people right out of this very building. Christian Action Ministry comes up, loads the food, we bring it in, we repackage it and stuff it into sacks. And as people came up, and a lot of them from the trailer parks that we've really not done much with, are here to pick them up and we carry it out and put it in their car 
and they get to know a little bit about us. We get to know a little bit about them. We go down to White River. We do basically the same thing. We're down there. We unload the truck. We package up some food. We deliver it to people. We interact with people. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have, what, a Easter celebration out at White River. And, boy, if you haven't seen this stuff yet, you ought to see what Anthony's doing. Anthony's taking a bull by the horns here to plant some seed in really an interesting way. Now, I grew up where we used to get baseball cards. we trade baseball cards. Anthony's come up with Easter cards. He's got the, the, what they actually look like over there. You want to take a little bit closer look after a while. But, you know, good old Anthony, Savior Silhouette guy, he has taken these things. And in, what are there six trading cards in here? I think so. But it's the story of Easter. So kids are going to get a trading card with the picture on the front with the story on the back. And they can trade these cards like you trade baseball cards. I have a sneaking feeling they're going to be pretty popular with the kids that come out. So it's just sowing a little bit more seed. Well, here's number seven. That's where you get to, you know, when you find good soil, and I think we've found some pretty good soil in this area, thanks to Cam, you need to cultivate it. Uh, from years of experience, I can tell you that it's easy for a pastor to get sidetracked by a thousand different things that don't really matter. And as a result, uh, finding the good soil, <laughs> they don't have time to do that. Uh, they, get, they don't get a chance to cultivate it and uh, the purpose of the church sometimes is kind of set by the wayside. See, cultivation, trying to find places where you can sow the seed and work the word, is um, takes patience. It takes wisdom. It takes prayer. And that's why I don't think we can, we can improve on Jesus' plan. I mean, Jesus' plan is really pretty simple when you think about it. Uh, he preached to the masses. Well, I, I'm, this, is not a, this is a mass. This is good mass today. It's not a Catholic Mass, but it's a good Mass. I don't know what that meant at all. Uh, but you're preaching to a certain group of people, and then you minister to individuals. You know, we're going to be praying for some people today, and we have chances to minister to them. I remember just ministering to Bo as he's going through this whole marriage process. Uh, other people, as they've gone through some difficulties from time to time, uh, he pours himself into a, a small group of key leaders. He called an even smaller group uh, together with apostles. And, and the work kind of gets spread out to a variety of different people. And so this small group of 12 guys, and eventually became 11 when Judas decided to bail out, uh, was really the focus of Jesus' earthly ministry. And after he returned to heaven, these 11 guys literally became the foundation for the church that was going to ultimately explode at some other time. Now, when I read through this story, I kind of stepped back and I thought, man, here we got what I say, 15, 16 people today. There's going to come a day I will walk away from this place. I have no idea how many people will be left behind. But I could smile the day I do that because I just somehow in the back of my mind, God says, Whatever is left behind has the potential to explode, to become even bigger and better than before. That's why you add people to your ministry, right, Eric? You find someone else to help it get bigger. And sometimes it just takes a little different face, a little bit different look. See, this small group of guys literally blew the doors off of the world. I mean, going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. 
Now, there's only one wrong thing with there's only one thing wrong with this plan. It, it takes a long time, and sometimes it takes a lot of energy, and you have to be really, really, really committed to doing it. Uh, something like Restore is not a uh, quick rewards program. It takes a little bit of effort. Again, this isn't fancy, this isn't flashy, but it's exactly what we ought to be doing. The best ministry is always life on life. Now, I get to speak to you on a Sunday morning, but imagine some of the conversations some of you have had with people who walked in this door when we fed them. Last week, we had a kind of a spontaneous one. I was kind of hoping and praying Sheena would have come back today, but we had an opportunity Last week when somebody walked in that, those front doors after worship was over who saw the sign restore and acknowledged the fact that she was broken. An opportunity to pour into the life of someone else. And maybe it was enough to get her to go back to some other church. We don't lose anything. God doesn't lose anything if somebody else goes to another church. See, when you find good soil, cultivate it. Well, here's number eight. Without prayer, your ministry cannot be effective. See, we do the sowing, the seed does the work, but it needs receptive hearts. Now, what does a farmer do with unproductive soil? Uh, well, uh, I know enough about it, a little bit about it growing up in Nebraska. What that farmer does is he plows it up again. He goes and he gets the stumps out of the field. He throws out the rocks, he pulls the weeds, he waters the ground, he plants it. And so God is really kind of farming the human heart the same way. Go back to Old Testament for a little bit. If you go back to Jeremiah, I don't know if I have these, I do have these passages up there. Jeremiah, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. How many of you have ever been in a Bible class, small group, or a church service where you felt like your heart had been plowed? <laughs> Where the pastor or the teacher just, oh, you, it's like he laid you wide open. And it kind of got rid of all the rocks and the bumps and all that kind of stuff. Or if you remember Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove what? That heart of stone. You ever met anybody with a heart of stone? I've met a few over the years. But I've also seen a few hearts of stone suddenly become a heart of flesh. See, that goes beyond this parable that Jesus told that takes us into the realm of what I would call enormous spiritual promise. See, the farmer, in and of himself or herself, let's acknowledge we've got female farmers today, uh, they, they don't automatically transform rocky soil into good soil. In fact, if you go to Galilee, if you go to the, the Holy Land today, it's almost more rocks than it is dirt. Uh, you just can't get rid of all the rocks. But one thing I've figured out in my life is God can. And this is why this final word in ministry belongs to the Lord and not to us. This is why we pray. A- after all, uh, we were all once kind of like seed thrown on a path. But God in his mercy intervened with us in our lives. He removed that heart of stone uh, and gave us his heart of flesh. Uh, He gave us a brand new heart. And if God can do that for us, then he can do it for other people that we come into contact with. I'm going to give you a good example. I'm going to share with you a letter letter that I got from an inmate down at Angola. 
And uh, when we finish our classes down there, uh, we always give them a half sheet, and we ask them if, if they would write uh, a thank you to the people who give them their Bibles, because we give everyone a brand new study Bible. And then anything else they want to write. This was on one of them several years ago, and I, I hang on to these because they're just powerful. But this is what he wrote to me. I am 34 years old, and I became a Christian and was born again at the age of 16. It was soon after that I fell back into the ways of the world and the sins of the flesh and am now suffering greatly as a consequence of my faithlessness and foolishness. But, Doc, like you talked about in class today about the prodigal son, I wasted the inheritance I received from my father, but am now turning back to him empty and broken. Pray that the Father in his mercy may restore me to the joy of his salvation and renew a steadfast spirit within me. A lot of people like that out there, friends, that are in that situation. Now, I know this guy fairly well. And I suppose that for many years, those people who knew this guy thought that his life would never, ever change. Nancy's met people like that. You, you, their, their parents just forgot him. Don't want anything to do with them. Um, and, and some of you may actually have a prodigal son or daughter uh, in your life. And at this moment, it almost seems impossible that they could ever be with the Lord. But see, with God, this is a great Bible page, with what? With God, all things are what? possible. That's why we keep on sowing. That's why we keep on watering. That's why we keep on praying. That's why we keep on waiting. Because we believe that God can do things that we cannot do. And to that I say, and thank God that he is God and we are not. See, God has done it before. He can do it again. And he's doing it right now, not only in this place, but in all places around this world. So this parable, as I look back at it, you know, I would love this place to just explode with numbers. I mean, it's not just because numbers are important, but it would really be nice to have a whole lot of people because then I envision a lot more people walking out the front door doing ministry, not to sit in here and hold up, have a bunch of programs and stuff, although a potluck is kind of nice from time to time. Um, but, um, you know, patience and hope. Uh, some of the seeds that we sow will, will never produce the fruit we hope for, but there's going to be some seed out there that's going to produce 100 times more than we, did, we could ever ask for or imagine. And this is why we preach the Word of God. This is why we pray in this church. This is why we keep sowing the Word in any way, places we can, and this, because there's a good soil out there. But the good soil is not always easy to find. But I'm totally convinced that if we keep on sowing and expand our area in which we sow, we're going to reap a harvest that in God's time, by his grace, is going to come to his glory. That's the sower and the seed. May God bless our sowing into this community.